Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Thank you all for your generous giving. Um, we, we really believe that there's a generation rising up that need to know and need to meet and connect with Jesus. And so thank you so much. Thank you for the time that you're going to give in 2020, some of you, and, um, and for the money that many of you have given. We, we really appreciate it. Maybe you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 18. And I'm going to read from verses 1 to 5. And the baskets will, will pass around. Just go for it, guys. And uh, Yeah. It's great, and, and, I, and I've really been thinking uh, as, as think about the next generation and work with young people of how, how, can we, how can we be a kingdom people? How can we cultivate kingdom culture and therefore model that to the next generation? Because it, we don't just need to see Christians, we need to see kingdom people. People that are into not, not an empire, not a church, but, a, but the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God's broad, and it, it, it reaches uh, all throughout the world. Um, so Matthew 18, 1-5, it's uh, this beautiful moment where Jesus talks about the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It says this, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, what then is the greater, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in, the, in my name welcomes me. And uh, I wonder, sorry about this, I wonder how many of you, when you think of the disciples, so, so Jesus with his disciples, he'd been with his disciples uh, for some time. When you guys read the Bible, do you, do, you, do you ever picture the disciples and what they were like? Does, does anyone do that? No, just like five people. Well, when you're reading your Bibles, maybe you might do that. And how many of you would say in your minds, the disciples were kind of middle-aged men? Put your hand up if, you, if that's your picture in your head. Come on, many of you more, you, you think like that. Bearded, balding, gray hair, yeah, we're getting the picture. That, that's kind of, when I read the Bible, I kind of picture that. Because, you know, stained glass windows have, have, have showed us that. And films like The Passion of the Christ, that's what we see. We see these middle-aged men hanging out with Jesus. But I want to I encourage you to think, uh, it wasn't like that. It really wasn't like that. Jesus didn't pick a load of middle-aged men. He picked Young people. He, you know, uh, theologians say that, that, that it's pretty likely that the, the disciples, the first disciples, were probably between the age of 15 and 28, no older. Jesus would have been 30 when he first gathered the disciples. And at 15 years of age, that's when education finished in that culture. 12 years of age, many young people, particularly young boys, they already started working and apprenticing with their fathers and, and maybe people that were connected to their family. So Jesus took these young people and he gathered them, them and he, he started to, to, to talk to them and, and teach them a different way. But um, I imagine like when you think about that, it, it might, you might think, really? Jesus did that? Because at 15, 
the really highly educated young people, particularly young men, they would, they would go and hang out with rabbis. And the rabbis would teach them the ways that they knew. And they would apprentice with those rabbis. So these were the select few that knew the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, really well. And they, were, they, were, they understood and they could quote scripture verbatim. Just, you know, Leviticus 5, whatever, and they were there. You know, this was the... Well, they weren't doing that because there was no chapters and verses. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> um, and so, so this was happening. But, but what we can suffice from this experience and what we can understand is that Jesus took a tiny, tiny group of young people and young adults... A tiny, if we were to look at that youth group, that group of people would think, how pathetic. How are they going to ever make a difference? And he took those 12 children, young people, adult, young adults, and he changed the world. And the world's never been the same. He turned the world upside down with those young men. And, and so I want to I explore what it looks like to be kingdom people, what it, what it looks like to be that... Uh, so let's set the scene of this story, right? The disciples have been with Jesus for some time now. They've seen him do some incredible miracles. They'd heard the Sermon on the Mount. They'd seen him raise someone from the dead. They'd seen him heal the sick, cast out demons. They knew he had authority. They knew this was a man that, w- that w- was about something. He had more power and authority than any other teacher of the day. And he wasn't just teaching in the synagogue where all the religious people went. He was teaching in the, in the, in the, on the hills, and he was teaching uh, on the highways and byways, and his life was touching people, and these young guys were getting stirred up by this. And at this point, they probably knew, they'd even seen him take a little boy's lunch and feed thousands, thousands. So they were like, they're discussing this, they're always talking, they're always with Jesus, they're, they're, and, and they're discussing this, and they say, they come with this question, they come with this question that they think is really important. And um, one of the things that, that theologians say is that they, at this point in Jesus' ministry, they were pretty certain that Jesus was the Messiah. You see, in that culture, they were all waiting for the Messiah that the prophets had told about. And so these, these young guys were like, they'd agreed, okay, Jesus is someone special. He's, he's connected with, with God. He's, he's the Messiah. And so they come with this question, hey, Jesus. And, and some other, in other parts of other Gospels, they say that they were arguing. Hey, Jesus, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? And so they're probably like around Jesus, and they're arguing this stuff. And as I was reading this passage, I realized I do this. We do this. We jostle, like the disciples, they're jostling and they're competing for position, prominence, and power. And we do this. Our culture does this. Where do I rank? How many followers do I have? When am I going to get my upgrade in my job? When am I going to get more money? When am I going to go to a higher position? Do you guys feel me? You know what I'm saying? We, we do this. Our culture is set up around this, but it wasn't that different in that day. It wasn't that different in that day. And so they come to Jesus with this question. And what I've realized is, is as I've had the privilege over the years of working with young people, I've always served on a local level. And now, thank, thank the Lord, he's, and, and it's an honor to be thrusted into a position of almost like prominence. More people know who, who I am, and know, more people know about DTI and, and the vineyard and all this stuff. And it kind of does stuff to you. Kind of makes you think you're important. 
It kind of makes you think that you can make a really big impact and you're going to be great. And, you know, Jesus isn't interested in that. You know, you you saw Mike telling people to, to go to DTI. Well, he recommended three festivals. And it's been a really weird time because Soul Survivor's been around. They've seen a huge shift in young people. They're responsible for seeing thousands, you know, I reckon hundreds of thousands. Who went to Soul Survivor or has been impacted by Soul Survivor? Yeah, okay, not half the room. I expected more. But <laughs> who went to like a youth festival or camp growing up? You know, so many of us have been impa- impacted and influenced in our lives. And, and Soul Survivor are saying, hey, we're stopping and you guys are part of that. That can do stuff to yourself. You can start to think, well, there's three recommended and there's others starting. Where will we rank? I'll be honest with you, I've thought that. Are we going to be the most successful group? Are we, where are we going to be on, on, on like, like the disciples? Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the next soul survivor? Who's going to be the next Mike Pilavachi? Do you know our concerns and our worries and our ideas of power and position? They're not, Jesus isn't bothered about that. God's not bothered about that. He doesn't, he doesn't care how many people know my name. He doesn't care how many people... He's not interested in that. He's, he's really not. You see, so often we're preoccupied with questions and answers that are framed around ourselves. Our little kingdom. But it's about His kingdom. And, I, and I've come to realize this, and I, I want to encourage you guys, if you're trying to build your own kingdom, it'll probably crumble. Because his kingdom is the only one that will reign now and forever. There's many people trying to build kingdoms. But there's only one king and there's only one kingdom. And so I'd love to see a generation and a people who are about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, not building their own stuff. And so how do I know that culture is, is like this? And how do I know that we're like this? Well, I... I just look at the world around us. Have you guys heard of the quarter-life crisis? Who's heard of the quarter-life crisis? Yeah, there used to be a mid-life crisis. You know when your dad, like, was losing, I don't know, was getting old, and so he went out and sold the car and bought, like, a, 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 a whatever he bought? Did anyone have that experience? Or, or suddenly, like, things happened for people in their middle age. They started to worry and get concerned and, and freak out and think, where am I going, what my life's doing? Well, that's changed today. It's now not a midlife crisis. It's before that. It's a quarter-life crisis. Sociologists and psychologists are calling it that. And, and one man, uh, a clinical psychologist, writes this. This is what a quarter-life crisis, how it's defined. A period of insecurity, doubt, and disappointment surrounding your career, relationships, and financial situations. So there is thousands, if not millions, in the 20s, 30s, 40s bracket that are literally spending loads of their time filled with worry, doubt, and anxiety, asking inner questions like, am I going to have the career I want? Am I going to be someone, am I ever going to end up with someone? Because that's really the goal, right? You've got to be with someone to, to get love. And am I ever going to own my own home or be financially stable? You see, these are the gods of this age. And the whole world is worshipping the gods of this age. What are they? Sex, money, and power. And they've never changed, friends. If it's not power, it's sex. If it's not money, 
its power. And, and, and theologians and, and authors and writers and sociologists, they're talking about this stuff because we're obsessed with it. We're obsessed with power and sex and money. But Jesus isn't about that life. He's like, forget your ideas about power and what, what, what works right now because there's, a, there's, greater, there's greater things to come and there's greater things to go on right now. You see, when Jesus came to earth, he came from a kingdom not of this world, but of heaven. And he came to show us the way to live life and what happens when heaven's culture invades earth. That's what he came to do. And so many of us, we've got worries and concerns and issues, but they're not worries and concerns for Jesus. And so they find themselves, these disciples, surrounded Jesus, asking really what we can now see is a stupid question. Where do I rank? Am I number two, three, 12? Where do I rank? And so Jesus does this profound thing. And friends, when you read the Bible, often we don't fully understand the cultural context. But in that moment, what he did would have shaken their worlds, would have shifted their mindsets. What he does is he, is he says to a little child, hey, come, come over here. They're in a circle. They're closed up. They're looking at Jesus. But he wants us to turn around and look at the world. And he says, hey, little child, come here. You know, the, theologians debate and they say, maybe... It's just because Jesus was like this, he was so provocative that he probably called a little girl into the middle. Because children were the least in that time. But women were, were it, was, it was the men, and then it was the women, and then it was the children, if that. And so Jesus would have wanted to make a point, and so he calls probably a little girl. And you picture this in your mind. All these men who think they're something, and he calls a little girl, and he says, you've got to be like this. You want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? You need to, you need to come, get your, your minds out of whatever the world is telling you to do, and be like this. Become like a child. And so I believe there's three keys in this passage to us becoming a kingdom people. Do you want to hear them? Oh, I, I, <laughs> I've got something. I've got some gold. Uh, it's always three, isn't it, when someone preaches? Why isn't it five or six? Or, anyway, three's, you know, number of completion. Eh? So anyway, this is it. Jesus says the first thing you need to do is, is you need to change. Guys, you're focused on power and where am I going to rank, but you need to change. You see, that word change means to turn around to turn away from your old ways of living, behaving, and thinking. You know, the word, it also is in other, pass, in other um, that word change means to repent. You know, and, and we, we don't really like using that word repent, you know, you, you, because it sounds really religious. But repent means metanoia in the Greek, which means to change your mind, to renew your mind, to change direction. And Jesus, see, the disciples think they're onto something. They know he's the Messiah. They know, and where am I going to rank? And Jesus starts to stir them up and say, hey, do you even know me? Are you even in the kingdom? Are you even going to heaven? They weren't thinking about that. They were thinking, I'm in, I'm, 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 I'm some, something important. And Jesus shifts their mind and says, hang on a sec. You see, this week, uh, Johnny and I, I, I just I moved here, Ellie and I moved here a year ago, and I found out that there was an estate where there'd been three murders 
in the space of seven months. And I've always, often in my jobs in the church, outside the church, worked, worked with young people on the periphery of church. And I heard that, and then I found out that it was actually young people and young adults that caused those murders. I mean, these murders, you can read about them, they're horrific. And I thought, someone's got to get onto that estate. Someone with the Spirit of God that believes that God heals today, that God can change the world today, that can impact that generation, has got to get closer to those young people. And so we started to gather, and over the last few months, we don't go every week, but Johnny and I were there this week. You guys know Johnny. Boom! Um, <laughs> enough, enough, enough said. Legend. You know, Johnny's a gift to this church. He loves the Lord, and he's not bothered about what people think. And we could all learn a lesson from the way he operates. Um, so anyway, we're, we're just, we, we simple things now. One of the questions I love asking people if they've got an injury, hey, has anyone ever prayed for you? Because that's not too confrontational, but we just, we go for it now. We saw this guy, um, just this guy sitting on his bike. He's got two phones, helmet on, sitting on a, on a motorbike. And we just go up to him and say, hey, we're praying for people. Is there anything we could pray for? He looks up from his phone and he says, he starts sharing about his life. And I, we, he was a kind of intimidating guy, you know, like he didn't look, I, I, I don't want to judge him, but he, it's probably transpired that he was a drug dealer. He'd spent time in prison. He'd had a tough life. And he started to share about that life. And, and I was like, man. Like, and he was just saying, but it's so hard for me, man. I need to change. I know I need to change. But after this conversation, I'm just going to go back to what I do. You see, Jesus, whenever we encounter Jesus, he always says, hey, you can change. I want you to change. And so we have this moment where, honestly, guys, it was profound. We, he said, yeah, I'd, but we were saying, well, you can change right now. How? Have you ever accepted Jesus? Yeah, kind of. I met Jesus in prison, but I've kind of gone. And he started to share his story, and we just had words for him. Like, he's a preacher. He, was, he had so much truth in him, but he's in this inner conflict, like all of us are. And so this, this, there and then we say, well, we're just going to pray. Would you, want, would you want to pray a prayer? So he just prays a prayer, giving his life to Jesus in that, in that moment. But as he's praying the prayer, the Spirit of God's just on him. And so we finish the prayer and we, and we say, how are you feeling? He goes, man, I feel high. He goes, I feel light. I feel, and we're, there's no highlight the most time, man. And, and so he's experienced this and you can tangibly see it, but he's freaked out by it. And Johnny goes, hey, you've got pain in your right knee. He goes, no, it's my left, but you've got, you're onto some mad thing, bro. And, it, and he's, he's like, you're on some heavenly wave. I want to get on that wave. And while you guys were praying for me, you're praying in tongues. I want that stuff. He said, well, you can receive that right now. You can receive. So we, honestly, guys, middle of the estate, this guy's just covered in the presence of God. His second phone is ringing. Yeah, bruv, I'll be there in a sec. Something's going on. Like, so second, second time we pray, he starts, we say, just speak out what's happening. He starts to speak out. And, you know, this guy's just filled with the Spirit. I could go on. I could talk. The fields are ripe with harvest. The workers are few. We've got to get out there. We've got to put aside our agendas and focus on the kingdom of God because it's advancing and violent men and women will try to take hold of it. But, but we, must, we must pursue people. We must be bold. You see, we've got to change. We've got to change. Romans 12, 1-2. Jesus always called us to change. But Romans 12, 1-2 says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
See, maybe you're sat here and you've come from a Christian background or you're new to church and there's things that Jesus already, his spirit is already stirring you to change. My question to you this morning is, will you change? Don't wait to change. Don't wait like for years and years till you're 30, 40, but when God's 50, 60 and you don't, you're not prepared to change. Change is here to stay in the kingdom of God. Guys, it is. We've got to get used to change. We don't like it. The second thing we can learn, pray for that guy. He wouldn't mind me saying because we gave him his number. He said, please text me, text me Bible verses. His name is Mikel. Pray for Mikel. If you remember anyone, pray for him this week that he would be pulled out of darkness into the light. He knows it. He's got to decide to change. Second thing, we need to become less. We, Jesus, this whole passage is really based around humility. Something that we see less and less of in the world. I'm, I'm on the Instagram world. It's, it's, it's kind of, there's, there's not a lot of humility on there, is there? I need to start putting, sharing some photos that aren't good parts of my life. You know. But anyway, I'm, I'm, on a, I'm on a track there. William Temple says this, I have never sought and never refused a position of great power. Hear that again. I have never sought and never refused a position of great power. Now, William Temple made a huge impact on this country. He was the Archbishop of Manchester, Canterbury, York. You know, he did the rounds. But he was a, a great writer. He, he knew something. So he's saying, you know, I don't seek out power. But when power comes, I don't shy away from it. You see, God has given us power and and, but but in, in his power, we, we need to be weak. Because when we're less, he, he becomes more. And Jesus, guys, if you want to just look to inspiration for how to become less, just look to Jesus. Some people say to me, you're a Christian. Does that mean they're focused on loads of other things? No, I just follow the ways of Jesus. He's a great example to me. Because I'm looking at around the world for examples, but I don't see Jesus is so genuine. And what I know of him is he came, he emptied himself into a, into a human being 2,000 years ago. And do you know what happened? The, the, the God of the universe came to hang out with humanity. It's a beautiful picture. It's what we have as our faith, as a marker of humility. And then what happened on the cross? He was beaten, whipped, spat on. The God of the universe let people do that to him. And even as they hung him on the cross, he cried, Father, forgive them. And you know what his disciples did? They did the same thing. They were humbled. While they were, after this, this had happened, they realized that, that Jesus, his way of life is so much more powerful than the, than the religious powers of this world. So you read about in Acts, Stephen doing the same. Have you guys heard the story about Stephen, how he died? As he's being stoned, he's crying out to God, forgive these guys. What a picture of humility. If we want to be kingdom people, we need to change. We need to become less. And the final thing is we need to become like little children. This is really my heart. This is really, we need to become like a child, like a young person. The disciples, see, as you read the Bible, you'll, if you read chapter 18 and then 19, do you know what happens? Jesus does these things, the disciples get it. And then a few days later, Children are coming. Parents are bringing their children to be blessed by Jesus. Do you know what the disciples do? Shoo them away. It's like, oh my goodness, are you morons or what? Like, 
we, so often in our culture, we're actually, we're, we're actually discouraging children and young people from being all that they can. You see, these parents were just bringing their children to Jesus because they knew that he would accept them. And Jesus rebukes them in that passage in Matthew 19. He says, let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them for such is the kingdom of God. You see, children are a picture of the kingdom of God, guys. If we want to become great, we just need to become less like a child. And the way that the, the little girl or boy or the child that came when Jesus called them, they would have done exactly what they were told. Jesus called them, they ran to Jesus, and they sat with him as long as he wanted them to be there. And that's the kind of way that we need to live our faith. We need to be close to the Father. D.L. Moody, uh, I don't know if you've heard of him, but a great evangelist from the States. He once had preached the gospel at a church and he came home and his wife said, Hey Dwight, what happened tonight? How many people came to Jesus? Because he always gave an appeal. He said, two and a half people gave their lives to Jesus tonight. Now when you hear that, when I heard it for the first time, I thought two people like were full on and one was not so full on. Do you guys think that? He was actually talking about two young people came to Jesus that night and one person that was much older. See, see, the point is when we come to faith as a child, we have our whole life ahead of us. He was saying there's a full life for that child. And I'm not discouraging you if you're older. This isn't like beat up the old people today. This is like, I just want you to remember that it's... And some of you, you need to re-envision what God spoke to you as a child. Your faith again, when you believe Jesus as a child. When you weren't put off by the discouraging remarks of the world around us. Or your friends at, in, in college or university or in your jobs that just discard Christianity like it's, like it's old-fashioned. No, no, it's the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. Jesus, he's the hope of the world. You see, children are so precious to God and so often children and young people get forgotten about. Whether it's culture moving on, making decisions, they're not considered the next generation. There's a mix of reasons why Youth clubs have shut down over the last 10, 15 years. I've seen it. Less investment with young people and children. When we stop investing in children and young people, our futures will be dead. The church will be dead. Guys, if you've got a child, if you've got a young people close to you, encourage them. Build them up. Teach them the word of God. Teach them to, to be naturally, supernaturally. Inspire them. Encourage them. Put everything you can into them. We must do this. We must do this. I want to finish with a story, then another quote. Um, over the years, I've had the privilege of working with young people that were just... The, forgot, the, forgot, <laughs> the forgotten ones. I meet young people, their dad's not interested, their mum's preoccupied, or not around, whatever. I remember meeting 15 years ago, meeting a young person who came to the youth club. His... He, checking what the time's on. <laughs> uh, he came, his mum was a drug dealer in the, on the local estate. His real dad told him literally to his face, I don't want to know you, and his stepdad was in prison in that moment. He'd been excluded 16 times that year he came to the youth club. 
We told him about Jesus. He came to Jesus. Uh, and I got to just know his story. He would often, I got invited to his family home for Christmas. We had to go find the, the I remember we had to go find the table because it was up in the loft. Uh, there was money, cash from drugs. There was booze everywhere. It was a profound experience to have Christmas at his home. It's a hectic environment. So I just spent, spent time discipling him and, and investing in his life. And a year on from him giving his faith to Jesus, remember he'd been excluded 16 times when he came to faith. A year on, he'd been excluded once. Many of the teachers disregarded him, said the best job you'll ever get is McDonald's. So that was his first job. You see, the words we speak over young people are powerful, but I had the privilege and others around me in that church to invest in him. Now, he's, he's got a beautiful story because he's the only one in his family of many that is fully out for Jesus. He became a youth pastor in a church re, uh, a few years ago. He now works with young people. He's been educated. He's traveled around the world. But he grew up on an estate where people were coming every day to, to get drugs. You see, we must encourage the young people. We must invest in them. But the thing is, is he, he's, he was dragged up. He was abandoned. He was forgotten about. He'd been told things by people that no one, no kid should ever hear. But, but Jesus redeems lives. And many of you, you've been touched in that way. But God wants to use you to, to share that message or to be important in the life of a child. My favorite quote, uh, uh, forgive me for crying, but I just can't help it. <laughs> I, I finish with this quote, and then I believe God wants to do some stuff. I can see him, his spirit moving. Um, <clears throat> a hundred years from now, it won't matter what car I drove, what house I lived in, my bank account, the clothes I had on my back. No one will care. No one will remember. But what matters is that I, was, uh, I made a difference in the life of a child. So, um, forgive me. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> We must make a difference in the life of children. We must put them back into the center of the church. The agenda. I was so blessed when Steve and Viv told me how much money this church has given. I've, I've been blessed to hear how many churches have given towards the work of DTI. But that's just a tiny bit. We're five days of a summer. Guys, keep, please let this be a church that lets the little children come to Jesus. Please don't forget, if you've got kids, don't make decisions about money. Don't make decisions about, just let them be in a community where they can grow and learn. You know, if, tell them the stories about God. I, I believe now because I had a father and mother that believed this, the, the word of God. They put it in front of me. They told me the stories. They encouraged me to believe. We've got a generation in the church that never even opened this book. These, these are the best stories ever. My dad says to me all the time, son, there's no better story. There is no better story than out of this book. It's beautiful. Um, when we welcome children, we welcome Christ. 
forgive my, my, my tears, but um, I, I, just, I just believe God wants to do something this morning in our hearts. So let's just wait on the Lord. Let's just wait on the Lord. Maybe you want to put your hands out. You don't need to stand up. Just put your hands out. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you're hungry to stir us up. So Spirit of God, we wait on you. Some of you, you just you, this, the spirit of God's just heavy on you, and if you if you're starting to 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 sense that or feel that, I just invite you to stand where you are, just whether it's conviction or stirring or or um just fresh passion. Would you just stand where you are? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Maybe others of you, you were so discouraged by, as a child. You weren't encouraged you, you, and you still carry some of the scars of that. Maybe you, you want to stand. Maybe if others of you, you really have a passion for young people, but you don't know where to put the passion yet. Maybe you need to stand. Or you, your heart just burns to see... A generation rise up that know Jesus. Just, yeah. Thank you, Lord. And just, we wait. We wait on you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Come, Lord, fill your people fresh. Thank you, Jesus. Others of you... Um, You kind of, you've been going through the motions, but you, you kind of lost what was spoken into your heart as a young child, and or or you've you've let the stuff of this world—power, position, prominence, sex, money, power—get in the way. Maybe if that's you, you stand as well. This is a place where there's freedom. You're not judged. You're not. You're not. Um, no one really cares. Come, Holy Spirit. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And maybe if you're near someone with, that stood up, you just want to place a hand. So, Lord, would you just, Holy Spirit, would you just fill these people afresh? Fill these people afresh. Stir up their hearts, Lord God. Stir up their hearts. Just let it come. Let His presence come. Thank you, Lord. Just let it come. It's just a release happening. Some of you are releasing of new dreams, Father's words over your life. Others of you, there's just a release, a release of fresh passion. Come, Lord. Come, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I might be, uh, this might, I'm just learning to hear the voice of God and putting it out there, but while I was praying this morning, I've, I believe like the Lord was stirring my heart for a particularly um, a person in the room that when you were quite young, you're, you're, this, this is the situation. Your parents kind of, they split up, and, um, but, but, but one of them sort of in that time period of, of them breaking up from the, the, the other, like when your parents split, one of your parents just really, really said some unkind words to you and and actually, I believe that person, today's a time of release. And uh, I don't want to humiliate anyone, or, but if, if that's you, I'd love you to come down the front because those words have kind of stuck with you and you've had prayer, but you just, the words really cut you and you, you remember, you can, you, can, you can remember the room that you're in. You can remember how you felt. Just, I'd, I'd love for you to come. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.